This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Man, are we jam-packed this afternoon. But let me start with one of my favorite stand-up comics. I've loved Gary Goleman for years. And in one of his specials, I remembered he joked, I love the 80s, but I hate VH1s. I love the 80s. I have a similar feeling towards the NFL draft. I've always loved college football and the NFL, so naturally I'm a big fan of the draft. However, I think it's a joke. The draft gets moved around city to city now, and I hate that starting tonight, the scouting combine is being moved into prime time. The NFL is discussing, rather than making this just a four- or five-day event with all the on-field drills. They want to stretch it out over two weeks and put it all in prime time and move the draft from, or excuse me, the combine, from Indianapolis to several different locations. All of that laughable to me. The NFL combine is a lot like prom. There's a lot of buildup, but it's always a letdown. Everything's a front, both at the combine and at prom. I don't know what prom stories you may have, Robert, that we can share, or if we've already done this segment before. Sawyer Dillon, he's in the control room as well. How many years removed from prom are you, Sawyer? One year, Uh, maybe six months? I think I'm three years. Okay, three years removed from prom. Intern now turned into an assistant producer on this show. He is the young, he represents the very young demographic that we have here. On Twitter at SportsUpTriad, 336-777-1600. Everything's a front. For the prospect, you get cut up to try and impress a team. You get to the draft, or again, I keep saying the draft, but I mean the combine in Indianapolis. It's on national TV. It's being put into prime time. So a lot of people are going to be paying attention because NFL following, it's ravenous. Everything that the NFL sells or tries to sell, we buy Even a schedule release where we know all the opponents already, they put that in prime time saying, oh, we'll tell you what specific dates they're going to be playing. It doesn't matter if it's already leaked by local reporters. No, we're still going to put it in prime time. Everybody's going to watch even though we know the opponents and probably even know the games by the time the telecast happens. We're going to nationally televise preseason games. What else is left for the NFL to broadcast in prime time? Genuinely asking because they put the draft in prime time when that used to be an afternoon deal. They put the Hall of Fame ceremony in prime time when that used to be an afternoon deal. They've taken the combine and put it in prime time. The schedule release put it in prime time. What else is left for them to do? The buildup is everything here. There's more buildup than there is substance. Kind of like prom. Where you get all dressed up, you're trying to impress your date. It's been built up for weeks in school. Oh, we got a theme. You get there. Everybody else is dressed nice. Then it's just a massive bummer. Most of the attendees, both at the draft and at prom, don't even want to be there. In both instances, most of the people just want to be drunk or eating a steak. Usually the ones that want to attend the event are the nerds dancing on the floor first. 
The players who are like, I'm really excited to compete and show the NFL what I have. Nerd. You think Joe Burrow's excited about the combine? Do you think Chase Young wants to answer questions from all these reporters and have medical staff members pick and prod him and sit in a room with six or seven different teams and be asked a bunch of questions just to try and see if he gets agitated? I don't think so. So who's really excited about being at the combine? Nerds. Man, I'm looking at this story that Wright Thompson wrote last year. You got GMs, team presidents telling Wright they don't want to send people to the draft any longer. They don't know if there's any value. Once again, Robert, ding a bell every single time. Do you have a bell sound? Ding a bell every time I say the draft instead of combine. Yeah, my apologies for that. They don't want to send people to the combine anymore. They don't know if there's any good out of uh, that comes from it. You got Michael Lombardi saying in a book that 40% of quarterbacks taken in the first or second round turned out to have a productive career. 40% of quarterbacks taken in the first or second round and his definition of production career, a productive career is, is starting for 3 years in the league. So, I mean, if it's that kind of random, then why are we sending so many people to Indianapolis to expense these dinners and these uh, social events if you don't even know you're going to get good players as a result? But none of these GMs are going to speak publicly. None of these team presidents are going to speak publicly. Why would they? The NFL, do you think they'd have issue with that? I think so. You're trying to sell something on national TV and you have GMs and team presidents saying, yeah, I don't know if there's anything to this. Kind of like prom. It's all about the after party, isn't it? At least in my case. Yeah, that's all I care about. Yeah, that's where all the action happens. For the combine. That's where the info is collected. Reporters. They, they, they talk to sources. Teams continue talking, talking about trades. What's happening with Cam Newton? What's happening with Tom Brady? So yeah, there's going to be news that comes out, but it's not going to be on the field with Buddy doing the uh, the 40-yard dash. Charlie Heck from North Carolina isn't going to create headlines with his cone drill. No, it's just a collection of people together. What's crazy is reporters who go to attend the event and you got thousands that are there, aren't even allowed to watch the on-field drills. They're not even welcome in to do that, which is also crazy. But the after party, that's where all the action's at. I don't know how late the after party's going to go now that everything's at prime time, 4 p.m. to 11 p.m. the next couple of days. But with prom, that was the end goal. You weren't talking about dancing. You were talking about figuring out whose mom was cool enough to buy alcohol or... Which friend of yours has a fake ID? That was it. That was the mission back when you were in high school. I'm down for taking bad prom stories on Twitter at Sports Up Triad, 336-777-1600. I don't think I had a good prom experience. Junior year, dating somebody that didn't even go to my school. 
Well, that's probably a stretch. I, I asked someone to prom that didn't go to my school, and then a few weeks later she said, yeah, I'm dating somebody who's 25 now, and he said he'd beat you up if, if I went to prom with you, so it's probably not a good idea for me to go to prom with you. Could he come too? Like, could he be her plus one? That would be interesting. I don't know. I don't know if the small charter school, public charter school I went to would be completely cool with that. And then my senior year, I asked somebody to go, and then she got busted with a bottle of liquor in her backpack a week before prom. And they let her go still, but her parents said that they were going to drive her to and from, which wasn't exactly awesome. So no lip locking for you? No. Dan Bonner going to join us in about 20 minutes. ACC legend, longtime ACC broadcaster, played at Virginia, the Cavaliers. They get a big win last night. Kihei Clark hitting a big shot in Blacksburg. And we'll talk about that game in just a bit. But while we're spending time on the NFL, while I think Cam Newton is going to get moved, and this week's been all about cleanup duty, damage control for Matt Rule in Carolina, saying that he's going to be the quarterback for the Panthers come September. Let me tell you what I hope happens. I grew up a Panthers fan in recent years, not very emotionally attached to the team since I started covering the team, but I'm pro-interesting, which means I want Cam Newton to return. If I had it my way, selfishly speaking here, I want Cam on Carolina because there aren't many athletes we've seen in the league that are as polarizing as Cam. I think the only quarterback in the last decade we've seen is Tom Brady on the polarity scale. He might be the most polarizing athlete we've ever seen in this state's history. The outfits, his style of play, his comments. There are a few quarterbacks you can't miss their postgame press conference just because of the content mine it is. Cam Newton is one of those quarterbacks. Also, he's the most productive option available for 2020. Now, you might remember I said there are better alternatives for the long-term future for Carolina available. Phillip Rivers, short-term contract. You can maybe get some draft capital in exchange for Cam Newton. Teddy Bridgewater probably would be more productive, less of a gamble for the long haul since he's 27 years old. Cam's a gamble, but... If he's as healthy as the Panthers think he's going to be, he's the most productive option. Phillip Rivers, he's a statue. Behind that offensive line, that's not going to work out well in 2020. Teddy Bridgewater, he's not very mobile as well. And if Cam is healthy, again, a gamble. Give me Cam's productivity over Bridgewater's this coming season. Lastly, it would be sad to end the Panthers' greatest quarterback's tenure the way it has transpired the last two years. It shouldn't go out with the Panthers making the decision to move off of Cam when he still has a couple of years left in the tank, at least. Like, even Jake DeLome, after throwing the six or seven picks, having all those turnovers in the playoff game against the Cardinals, got the contract and got another opportunity to redeem himself. And even though he didn't, the Panthers have never had a quarterback as good as Cam Never had an MVP winner before Cam. It almost feels like the right thing to do. The right way for this story to end is for Cam to get a shot 
with this new staff led by Matt Rule. Whether or not that happens, we'll continue to follow. If I had to bet today, I think the Panthers move off of Cam. But if you're asking me what I would like to see happen, personally, professionally, I want to see Cam playing for the Panthers at least another season. Coming up, the college basketball star that would be the Hornets' dream pick in the lottery this summer. We're looking ahead to the NBA draft next on The Drive. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves to wear itchy clothes, so he has an excuse to scratch himself. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. This isn't a very strong NBA draft we have coming up this summer, but since we do a lot of college basketball around here in the Charlotte Hornets, they're expected to be picking pretty high in the lottery. I want to jump ahead and start looking at dream scenario for Charlotte. Let's say they have the number one or number two pick in the draft. Who is the player you'd most like to see playing in a Hornets uniform because for me, I think it's Cole Anthony still. I think Cole is the Hornets' dream option. Not Obi Toppin at Dayton, who's had an excellent season. Not even James Wiseman, who left Memphis early. Both those guys, big men. Charlotte, they've gotten their fair share of big men the last few years with P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges. I think it's time for Charlotte to, uh, to draft the star point guard. Because seven of the last eight lottery picks for Charlotte have been forwards. Munkin, uh, not Monk, but Bridges and Washington, they've been the hits. The misses have been Noah Vonley, Cody Zeller, who's still on the roster, Frank Kaminsky. Uh, those have been the misses. Michael Kidd Gilchrist wasn't quite Anthony Davis being picked second in that draft. Uh, behind the New Orleans Pelicans, of course. But seven of the last eight lottery picks have been forwards. And that Monk guy, Malik Monk, he was the only guard of the bunch. And he wasn't picked in the top 10. The last top 10 guard the Hornets took, Kimball Walker in 2011, ninth overall. And rest assured, Cole Anthony is a star. It's not hard to spot. You don't have to justify it. But... His dad's Greg Anthony. He has all this flair going into college. He has flair when he speaks. He's confident. He's mature. That's probably the thing I'm going to value the most in a draft that's pretty thin. I'm going to value maturity. Zion had it last year. John Morant had it. R.J. Barrett had some of it, but wasn't quite as mature as the top two, and I think that's a difference in how prepared the first two were versus the latter in their rookie season. Situation, of course, plays into that as well. But Cole Anthony, he's a mature guy. I learned a lot from him in the way that he decided to return to North Carolina despite the fact the team was struggling. There's a lot to learn from that. In fact, I'd take... This is an interesting question to ask. Who would you take today? Cole Anthony or Kobe White? 336 7 on Twitter at Sports Triad. Because I'd take 
Cole today over Kobe, understanding that Kobe has had this string of terrific games in the NBA. My issue with Kobe White going into the league, I didn't think he was very mature, and also he, he didn't have a diverse skill set. He's not very big. He's he's an excellent shooter and a great scorer, but defensively he didn't have much. He didn't bring anything in rebounding. Cole has a diverse skill set, shooting, driving, rebounding. He's going to be a lot better of a defender. In fact, he's improved a lot since the beginning of the year. Don't let North Carolina's record fool you. Basketball people, they could see through it. Cole Anthony is a star. He would be the Hornets' dream draft pick if he's available wherever they're picking. If Charlotte lucks out the way the Pelicans lucked out in getting the number one pick and getting Zion, I think they draft Cole over Obi Toppin, over James Wiseman, over that shooting guard out of Georgia, over LaMelo Ball, Give me Cole Anthony. I think that is the dream pick for Charlotte. He'd become the face of the team around a good young core. And just think about this backcourt. You got Terry Rozier, who you could trade away. It's not a great contract, but he averages 17-5 and five a game. 17.5 rebounds, excuse me. Uh, points, I should say. You can move that contract. Somebody will take that contract when you're talking about $17 million and a guy who averages 17.5 points a game. But if you keep them, you got Devontae Graham, Cole Anthony, and Terry Rozier who can handle the basketball, two of the three being combo guards. Dwayne Bacon has shown good signs before being sent down to the G League on a stint in which he's been dominant of late. P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges. So I, I like what Charlotte is building and I think Mitch Kupchak and James Borrego have showed a, shown us enough with the players that they have drafted for us to rely on these people to make a solid pick. They took Bridges. They took Washington. Those are the only two first-round picks we've seen from JB and Mitch in uh, their time with the Hornets. This isn't a Rich Cho situation. So this is going to be a very important pick for Charlotte. They just need to stop winning as much as they are. Beating the New York Knicks last night. On Twitter at Sports Hub Triad, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. We're going to be joined by Dan Bonner, former Virginia Cavalier, ACC television legend, in about 10 minutes' time. Speaking of Virginia, they get the win last night. And one scarce trait in college basketball this year that Virginia possesses that many other teams do not is reliability. It's one of the most important things to me. Robert, you've known me about as well as anybody in radio. If I say I'm going to be somewhere, odds are I'm there 10, 15 minutes early. I'm always there. If you try to call me, odds are I pick up or I'm going to call you back. Five, ten minutes time. I'm a pretty quick texter. I am reliable, and that's one of my biggest assets. It's one of the most important things to me. If I don't show up somewhere I say I'm going to be at, call the police, call the National Guard. Something's gone wrong. Same deal with Virginia. If Virginia doesn't show up, if Virginia gets waxed, blown out in a game, 
something has gone terribly wrong because it doesn't happen. They are consistent in style and they're consistent with their effort. They've only had one bad loss this year. One loss that was de decided by a dozen or more points. And that was a loss at Purdue. And it should be remembered, Braxton Key didn't play in that game. He was injured. He injured his wrist in that game. So that was way back on December the 4th. They're consistent in style and consistent with their effort. They have four guys who have hit massive shots in their career that could be relied on to hit a big shot. Mamadi Diakite hit the most important shot in Virginia history against Purdue, of all teams, last year. And Kihei Clark had the assist. Kihei Clark had the game-winning shot last night in the final three seconds. A dagger three. North Carolina fans know what Thomas Wolden-Tinsai is capable of. Wake Forest fans saw it as well. Jay Huff hit a corner three against Wake that was important. These are guys that many of them were on the team last year who have been in big games, seen big moments, hit big shots. How many guys on Duke do you trust to hit a big shot? Trey Jones and... Trey Jones? Great team, Duke. Better team than Virginia. Just not as reliable. Louisville. I like a lot of players on the team, but I haven't seen Ryan McMahon hit the biggest shot in the game. David Johnson. Even Jordan Mora to a degree. Virginia, they've been battle-tested. Four guys who are key players on the championship team returning. I mentioned Diakite. I mentioned Huff. Kihei Clark. Key's another one. He was the leading rebounder on Virginia a year ago. How's this for numbers, though? Virginia's played a lot of one-possession games. It's not just that tournament run they went on last year where they had all those wicked close games. Overtime against Texas Tech. The free throws from Kyle Guy at the end of the Auburn game. Purdue, a scare in the opener against Gardner-Webb in the 16-1. Those guys experienced that, but this year they've played seven one-possession games. Their record, 6-1. How about we widen things a little bit more? Make it two possessions. Games decided by six points or less. Virginia's had 11 of those games. They are 9-2. That is reliable. You don't see a lot of reliable in college basketball this season. So that's something I value. I'm not saying Virginia's going to go on a run like last year. They don't have the talent they did with Guy and uh, Hunter and Ty Jerome. But they do have a lot of experience at key spots. They have those four key players from that team. They're battle-tested and they're reliable, consistent style, consistent effort. So Virginia is a team to keep an eye on when you're filling out your bracket. As I mentioned, Dan Bonner, he went to Virginia, has covered the league for over 30 years. What will be the biggest story heading into the ACC tournament in Greensboro two weeks from now? Dan Bonner will tell us next on The Drive. Stand by as we continue our dig for the truth and the toy at the bottom of the cereal box. Oh, got it. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Dan Bonner's been one of the best on the ACC and all of college basketball for a very long time. He's going to be on the call for Michigan, Ohio State, 
on Sunday, but in my book, he's an ACC legend. And in the triad, we're very excited about the return of the ACC tournament to Greensboro. It's returning in a little less than two weeks for the first time in five years. And Dan, there are a lot of storylines going into this tournament. North Carolina going to be playing on a Tuesday for the first time. You have, looking at some of the other things here, the obvious return to Greensboro, nine ADs currently at place in place of the ACC have never stepped foot in the Greensboro Coliseum. And it's been a bit of an uneven year in all of college basketball, but especially the ACC. So maybe things are ripe for a shocker. What do you think's the biggest story heading into the ACC tournament? Wow, Josh, those are really interesting things. Nine ADs have never set foot in the Greensboro Coliseum. That's amazing. Crazy, right? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Of course, there's 38 teams in the ACC now. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I think the biggest story going in uh, to the tournament is sort of the same thing it is every year. I, I like the fact that it's back in Greensboro. When I was in school, that's where the tournament always was, and so – Greensboro sort of feels like home to me for the ACC tournament, although I understand their desire to move it around. But Greensboro is always the place that's felt like home to me. But I think the story is the same as it is every year, and that is who, if anybody, is going to be able to play their way into the NCAA tournament at the ACC tournament. And NC State is one of the teams that it looks like, short of beating Duke later in the regular season with a few games left, probably needs to make some noise in Greensboro. We'll have Joe Lenardi on the show a little bit later on, but what needs to happen, you think, for the pack? How many wins in order for you to feel comfortable saying they're in? Well, you know, I, that's that's a very good question. Joe Lenardi is the guy who invented all this stuff, and I guess, <laughs> is he going to take uh, your call from his mom's basement? That's where he has to live, along with all those other guys. I hope there. I hope there's food in there. There's like, are, Is there food? Yeah. Is there drinks? You know, all those guys who do that, they come up with all those numbers. You know, I, you know, it's one of those things where North Carolina State has put themselves in position where they can play their way in or play their way out. And the easiest way to play your way in is to win as many games as possible. I think, obviously, it would really help them to beat Duke again, uh, which will be a very difficult task. And there are other games I think they play Pitt and it escapes me here who else they play, but they're two winnable games, but that doesn't mean they're going to win them. They can't afford to stumble down the stretch here in the regular season, and they would be very well advised to at least win a couple in Greensboro. Uh, but even if they do, they're going to be right at the bottom of the, the pack, uh, bottom of the list of people who might get in, and they could be very subject to bid stealers from other leagues because there will be teams in other conferences who aren't supposed to win who do and will take a bid away from a team like NC State. So they are in a position that I don't envy. Dan Bonner with us here on Sports Hub Triad. Watch him Sunday. Michigan, Ohio State does great work. Uh, college basketball uh, analysis for CBS Sports, also for ACC Network. Um, what shift things to Virginia? You're a Virginia Guy, that's where you went to school, as you mentioned. And last night, they get the win, and Kihei Clark hits a big shot. I think they're getting overlooked a little bit, Dan, when you consider they have a trait that's scarce in today's college basketball. Reliability. They've played in seven one-possession games. They're 6-1 and one in those. And they are 9-2 and two in games decided by six points or less. I'm looking at guys hitting big shots like Diakite, Jay Huff. Uh, you got Kihei Clark 
You got Walden Tensai, who's been big at times. These are guys who can hit big time shots and have proven it this year. They're battle tested in my mind. What do you think Virginia's ceiling is this year? You know, I think it has been an amazing year for Virginia. I think Tony Bennett has done a great job developing that team. And that's something that in this day and age of college basketball, with the way we measure things with all these metrics that we use, we basically insist the teams be really good right out of the box. And if you're not, then there's something wrong with you. And so I think that Virginia has actually developed their team. I think they have overcome that, uh, that criticism. Uh, you know, they lost by 29 points at Purdue. And at the time, that was like a big disaster. But it wasn't a big disaster for Michigan State when they lost by 29 points at Purdue or for Iowa when they lost by 36 points at Purdue. And so winning all those close games, I think, has gotten Virginia past that narrative and now people are talking about wow you know they're really good in close games and josh they've only played in in the conference they've played 17 games and they've only played four games that they have been the results have been decisive where there hasn't been any question down in the last couple of possessions uh now of course they lost by a large margin to syracuse but that was an overtime game uh they fell by more than one possession at louisville but that was that was a game where they were actually ahead with three minutes to go. So given the fact that they play so many close games, they could just as easily, instead of being 12-5, and five, they could be 4-13, and 13, or they could be 17-0. and 0. Uh, Their defense is good enough that they can win every game they play. Their offense is bad enough that they lose every game they play. And so I think that if I was a Virginia fan, that I would really have to have my blood pressure medication with me if I watched them play. Maybe the same for Duke as well, because when they're playing outside of Cameron Indoor Stadium, they get off to rocky starts, just like they did against Boston College and North Carolina and at NC State last week. I was at the game in Winston-Salem, and of course they lose in double overtime to Danny Manning's bunch. Coach K, he's, he talked about after the game that this team, he, he's hoped that they would mature, they would get older quicker than they have. When you look at a team that, loses to Stephen F. Austin, seems to be unreliable playing away from home. What are your concerns for the Blue Devils as they look ahead to March? I'm not sure that they're unreliable when they play away from home. I, I don't, you know, that I did that game against Stephen F. Austin, and Stephen F. Austin just, uh, Stephen F. Austin looked like an old, experienced, tough group of guys playing against a bunch of kids, uh, and that's exactly what it looked like. And Duke wins that game if they just make a couple of free throws. So I, I didn't get in a panic that a lot of people did about that game. And In terms of getting mature, well, you know, you can get mature and you can get some experience, but most for most of the key players, that was their first time playing in front of the crowd at North Carolina. Uh, that was their first time playing in front of the crowd at North Carolina State and against a desperate North Carolina State team. And that was their first time going on the road at Wake Forest. Uh, you know, there are three North Carolina rivals. There's a lot to lot going on there, and that was their first time experiencing that at those various places. So, okay, maybe they shouldn't have lost the games, but I just don't – it just doesn't affect me. I think they're a very good team. I think they have a chance to make a deep run into the NCAA tournament. Uh, and teams sometimes, you know, they struggle during the course of the year. I, 
I don't think there's anything to worry about with Duke. It's going to be such a wild tournament. Can't wait for it to all get started in the uh, in Greensboro for the ACC tournament. Two weeks from the day, we're going to be seeing the top four seeds play in the ACC tournament in Greensboro. Then, of course, it's the big dance, which for us is fittingly going to start in Greensboro as well, first and second round action. Dan, look forward to watching you on Sunday. Thank you for squeezing in the time. Thanks. Really appreciate you having me. You got it. That's Dan Bonner. ACC legend from CBS and the ACC Network. We got our weekly ACC rankings, 1 through 15, up at accsports.com. And there's a lot of agreement between David Glenn, Brian Geisinger, and myself. We go 1 through 15. We all have Florida State as the number one team. BG has Duke second while me and DG have Louisville second. The top three, I mean, we know who they are. Virginia four. This is where it gets kind of sad. So, NC State, they're right there at 500. And they are the fifth best team in the ACC. Like, all three of us agree. They're the fifth best team. Then it's some combination of Syracuse and Notre Dame. And after that, God knows. Like, I I could tell you about the bottom five. And really, there's starting to be some shakeup there. DG's dead set that Boston College is terrible in their 14th, but they actually have a pretty good conference record. Believe it or not. Boston College, I have them 11th. Wake Forest, they still have 14th. Deacon fans, probably not a big fan of that, but larger sample versus smaller sample, am I right? So if you want to check out the ACC rankings for Brian Geisiger, myself, David Glenn, 1 through 15. You can find that on my Twitter page, at Josh Graham Radio. Also, you can find that at accsports.com. All right. I want to return things to the NFL scouting combine. I feel like I'm obligated to do that a bit. Before we do that, though, I can see Tom Brady playing in three places and three places only. I'll tell you what those destinations are next. Here comes the life of the party. The Drive. Corrupting the minds and the hearts of our children. With Josh Graham. Program for low expectations. On Sports Hub Triad. Woo! I love the NFL scouting combine, but Robert... Our executive producer on the other side of the glass seems to love it, and he keeps peppering me with 40 times being ran by tight ends I've never heard of. So this is what I want to do. Darren Gantz now joining us, one of our favorite guests from ProFootballTalk.com. After every single one of Darren's answers, Robert, I just want you to give me, give the audience a sense of what I've been dealing with during the commercial breaks and just... Tell me the name of a tight end and give me his 40 time as the scouting combine has been put in prime time. It just started in the last 30 minutes. Darren, how goes it? Happy scouting combine day. Yes. Hello, friends. It's uh, it's gotten a little ridiculous. And I'll be honest with you. This thing stopped being about football evaluation a long time ago this is tv inventory now and that's the reason they're doing drills in the early afternoon and the evening uh, is because the league wants a few more eyeballs on its network and 
you know, I'm sure all the evaluators who are used to starting this process at 9 a.m. so they can do interviews at night and then go drink beer with their colleagues are kind of disturbed by the fact that their beer drinking is being put on hiatus for a few hours. Uh, but I, I'm sure the gang at Prime is uh, is still taking care of business there after hours because, as we all know, that's the true function of the scouting combine. Uh, Albert Oakham, the guy, the fellow's name who I could not pronounce earlier, he just ran the fourth fastest tight end time since 2003 with a 4.49. What's the appeal, Darren, of this being put in prime time? We talked about the draft being moved, and I don't really know. It's a great television show, the draft, and I like the draft, but the idea of it being a spectacle sport is a funny idea to me. But what's the appeal of the combine? God, you'd have to ask somebody else. I, I wouldn't consume a lot of this if I wasn't being paid to, I don't think. Uh, the 40-yard dashes and stuff, I mean, listen, if you get little fast guys running fast 40s, I, I enjoy watching Olympic track. I mean, watching fast people run fast is interesting, and I'll do that for a little while. But I guess it's kind of like watching the XFL. You you just have to love, love, love football to consume this product year-round. And ultimately, that's the NFL's goal, is to keep their product on the minds of their customers the entire calendar. So rather than passing up the opportunity for somebody to watch college football, hey, let's give them this to look at, and, and we'll put some three-cone drills on TV, and they'll be really excited about that. Hunter Bryant, the Washington tight end, just ran a 4-6. Darren Gant with us from ProFootballTalk.com. So I'm conflicted on what I heard from Matt Rule earlier in the week. Did you sense damage control with his comments or sincerity from the Panthers head coach saying that Cam is absolutely going to be a Panther this year? Uh, I don't take anything Matt Rule said as meaning absolutely anything, and, and I uh... – you know, I, I'm not saying there's nefarious intent involved here, but the only honest answer to any question about Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers in 2020 can only be, I don't know. And I understand that nature, nature abhors a vacuum and that I don't know is the worst possible answer to give on any topic in our hashtag content-driven culture. But nobody knows right now. The Panthers don't know if he's well enough to play in June or August or September. The Panthers don't know if he's willing to take a physical for another team who might be interested in trading for him. So they're sort of stuck right now, and it's a bad time to be stuck in that position because, you know, you're walking into the most uh, waterlogged market for quarterbacks that we've ever had. I mean, Tom Brady's a free agent. Phil Rivers is a free agent. Jameis Winston Marcus Mariota, who went one and two in a draft, are free agents. There are a lot of guys out there uh, who can fill a lot of jobs, and the Panthers might be stuck with Cam Newton at the moment uh, and unable to move him. That being said, being stuck with Cam Newton ain't the worst thing in the world if Cam Newton is Cam Newton again. And if he's healthy and if he's well, then there are a lot worse fates for Matt Rule in his first year as a head coach than walking into an offense with Cam Newton, Christian McCaffrey, and D.J. Moore. Because that's how they'd have to win games. They don't have the kind of personnel on defense to be competitive right now. And if Cam Newton's gone, they're not going to be competitive, period. But uh, if you have to go into a season with Cam as your quarterback and then figure out the contract stuff later, you know, there are worse spots to be in. Tennessee tight end took his time running the 40. Dom Wood Anderson ran a 4.85. So I, I do like... 
I yeah. love the way that four eight five in the forty is perceived as slow. That is at least two Robert. faster than anybody speaking or listening to this radio show can run. I I'd love to take a foot that. race. There's a park in Charlotte where they've got a radar time forty yard dash course, and I went out there one time and I thought, okay, yeah, this will be fun. Take the kids out there running around. I'm in jeans and boots because it's winter or something, and I put a seven something on the board. Now, granted, I wasn't trying or training, but you don't understand how fast a five-second, 40-yard dash is unless you're one of the people that can do it, and those are not many. Kobe Parkinson looked kind of slow, too, with a 4.83. <laughs> Derek Ant with I this. Couldn't, I couldn't do a 4.83.40 if I fell out of an airplane. <laughs> uh, I do wish somebody would just be honest and say they don't know with Cam – David Tepper tried to do that, but here's the thing with Tepper. Tepper is a guy who never has backed down from any uncomfortable subject in any way. He's going to talk about uh, non-disclosure agreements at his first press conference. He's going to talk about, or the lack thereof, he's going to talk about MLS when that's not a thing and a lot of things have to happen in order for it to take place. He doesn't mind talking about the stadium. He doesn't mind saying that kneeling football players are patriotic. But it was a really... Not surreal, but interesting image to have Tepper against those lockers in that locker room, not wanting to really expound on anything regarding his quarterback. So I wonder, how did you interpret Tepper's comments paired with possibly related incidents? Cam on his Instagram saying, all I want is commitment and Tepper sending a letter to PSL owners, which the crux of the message was, we need to tear down before we rebuild. Yeah, I, I don't think it was accidental on Cam's part at all. And that's where this is kind of a tricky situation is, you know, they've got a human being to manage as well. And and Cam's not like the other kids. He can be high maintenance. Most quarterbacks who are MVP level can be. Uh, but it's a tricky situation because Cam, and, and I don't mean this particularly about Cam, if Aaron Rodgers was in this situation, Aaron Rodgers would not want to be going into the final year of his contract coming off an injury without any security. I, I think any quarterback of that stature would be in a similar spot. If Matt Ryan in Atlanta was in a contract year and coming off an injury, he would want a little security too. So this stuff isn't particular to Cam, or Cam's not a bad guy because he wants this stuff, but it does leave a little man management for Matt Rule to handle. And I think that, as much as anything, is what I took out of his comments this week is – when he said, hey, I'm the coach. My job's to coach up the guys I've got. And even though we all know Matt Rule's got the run of the building, and you know, I'm not saying he's actually the GM, but he's going to be the guy who makes big decisions. And he's able to stand back and say, yeah, I'm going to work with who I got. And why wouldn't I want to work with Cam Newton? Well, of course, Cam Newton's great at football. Why wouldn't you want to work with a guy like that? So it's natural that he says that. But there is a lot of uh, – work going on behind the scenes to manage some feelings and to keep people, you know, on the same side of the boat, so to speak, because this could go sideways in a hurry. I mean, all it would take if Cam's feelings are really hurt and in June he says, I don't ever want to play here again, then you're really stuck because then this entire market's gone and Tom Brady's found a new home and Phil Rivers has found a new home and maybe Jameis Winston has too and everybody's getting paid. And if you get to June or August and he says, no, nah, I ain't coming without a new contract, that's a problem. Right now they're just trying to push and avoid and stall and hope it doesn't become one down the road.
The often forgotten LSU tight end, Stephen Sullivan, showed some fleet feet running a 4-6-4. Darren Gant with us from ProFootballTalk.com. He's on Twitter at Darren Gant, also NBC Sports. Um, you're also... Still waiting for Gilbert's 40 times since we've gotten Sullivan in so far today. <laughs> um, you're also somebody who is a Hall of Fame boner, uh, voter, as we've discussed, yeah. and... In addition to that, you might be Nostradamus as well because I asked you what show you would like to see next on the Bank of America Stadium lineup that we've seen in uh, recent years include Billy Joel or in recent months. It's going to start with Billy Joel and many other star acts are going to be going to Bank of America Stadium. You said you'd like to see the Rolling Stones and apparently Mm -hmm. David Tepper and company might have been listening. Yeah, either that or I might have been listening to something I shouldn't have heard earlier or something like that. One of those two things could be possible. It's going to be exciting. And I've got my tickets, and I uh, swallowed hard and and wrote a car payment uh, to go see Mick and Keith and the boys on uh, July 1st. But it's going to be worth it. I mean, I would would hate to think that I would look at that amount of money if something happened to the Goats guys down the road and say, man, I regret not seeing that last show in – in Charlotte. So, you know, I swallowed hard and bought the tickets, but uh, that's one of those. It, it's the stones. You you stop worrying about uh, about the amount of money you paid for that ticket the minute they hit the first lick of Star Me Up. C.J. O'Grady, the Arkansas tight end, just ran a 4-7 flat. Darren, appreciate you spending time with us. In addition to you bringing insight, Robert brought you some uh, during the segment as well, so maybe a change of I speed think- there. I feel like we all learned something here today. Thank you, Darren. See y'all. That's Darren Gant from ProFootballTalk.com, NBC Sports, joining us. And he seems to have similar feelings about the NFL scouting combine to me. Up next, why the scouting combine really reminds me of prom. Oh, prom. Keep it here on the drive. Sports Hub Triad presents the pre-K priority of Forsyth County High School Athlete of the Week. Well, let's go! Each week, nominated high school athletes will be recognized for their accomplishments.